Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB, aka Danielle Bezalel. Let's get into it. Are you going back to college or grad school this fall? Or maybe you're just on a student's budget. As a grad student myself, I know I am. What's the one thing that should be on everyone's back to school list? A vibrator, of course. If you want an incredible, high-quality new sex toy for under 50 bucks, Sweet Vibrations is the place to go. Sweet Vibrations is an adult boutique that promotes self-care, breaks the sex toy taboo, and encourages open, empowering conversations surrounding vulva sexual health and desires. And the best part? All four of their amazing toys have a lifetime warranty, just in case. Visit sweetvibes.toys to get your new shiny toy. Need a new sex toy? Spectrum Boutique is an awesome, sex-positive toy store that has a no-nonsense approach to sexuality and sexual education. They believe that fulfilling your sexual desires is an important self-affirmation and human right, and they welcome all identities, curiosities, and experience levels. Go to SpectrumBoutique.com and use discount code SEXEDWITHDB10 to get their latest goodies. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we're talking about a near $30 billion industry. Any guesses? Sex toys, duh. On this episode, we have two very special guests who are experts in this field, Sid Asmi and Janet Lieberman Liu. Sid is the owner of and the head educator at the beloved Brooklyn-based educated pleasure shop, Please. Please is the epicenter of Sid's mission to change the way people think and talk about sex and bring it to the mainstream as a daily indulgence for everyone and anyone at various stages of life. Janet is Chief Technology and Product Officer at Dame Products, and as a mechanical engineer, she knows how to get things made. We talk about Dame's lawsuit challenging the MTA's discriminatory policy for subway ads with sexual content. Check them out at Dame Products on social media. Without further ado, here I am with Sid. Sid, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. How's it going today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Perfect. Well, let's just go ahead and and dive right in. Um, Why don't you tell us your name, um, a little bit about your background and like where you grew up and uh, your job title? Sure. Uh, my name is Sid Azmi. I am the owner and um, an educator at Please, uh, which is an educated pleasure shop in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Um, I originally grew up in Singapore. I am from Singapore and I moved to the United States on my own at 19. I actually ran away from home. Uh, went to college, did um, radiation therapy for, for over 10 years, um, started teaching and then opened Please. And I guess we'll talk a little bit more about how that came out to be. Yes, we will. That's so incredible. And I have actually went to Singapore for the first time last <laughs> April, um, and I found it to be and... such an interesting place. It was really, really uh, not unlike anywhere I've ever been before, for sure. Yes, it's 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 a list, it's a bit of a conundrum, you know. It's it's a modern society, but not socially uh, modern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come from a Malay Muslim family, and let me just um, start this this part of the conversation by saying that you know my experiences are unique to my own family values, mm-hmm. and they're not representative of the Malay Muslim you know, population. Um, but as a Malay Muslim girl in Singapore, I was circumcised at birth. Um, 
in Singapore. Uh, so when we think about Singapore being a modern country, you know, we don't think about young girls, baby girls, Malay girls, still circumcised even today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens to me. That happened to me um, some years ago, many years ago, and it still happens today. Um, Singapore is a bit strange that way, but um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not always uh, re- crazy rich Asians. Is that the movie that was <laughs> yes, made after? Yes, it is. Yes, total lie. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. So let's let's get into that. Like, tell us about your religious upbringing there um, and kind of your journey to embracing your own sexuality and then eventually to founding, please. That's a long conversation. Huh? Uh, um, let's keep it short. Anyways, so I grew up Muslim in, in Singapore. And like I said before, this is this is our values. We circumcise girls at birth because we think that the head of the, the hood of the clitoris is dirty and that women are being good women will one day bring forward good good love and good love will bring good sex um never in our religious upbringing or in our education where we taught about what it was like to be a sexual being it was just a conversation that was not spoken about at all um and it's actually you know for me it was kind of um a a slightly backward situation where I came to the States on my own and I went to school and I uh, was in a medical field um, and I worked a lot with the GYN service actually that's how I became kind of familiar with the women's body and male's bodies Um, and um, my ex-partner was a doctor so my parents started talking about their sex life with me as an adult then, uh, never at all talking about my sex life when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I guess, you know, my my medical um, background sort of was the opening for them to have this conversation. And I think that was probably one of the earliest, you know, like, wow moments for me that like, wow, this even, even you know, so-called backward parents of mine, you know, have something to say, have something to ask about sexuality. Um so another thing is I grew up, uh, I went to an all-girls school in Singapore just by chance. And I think being in, a, in an, in an, in an all-girls school that had, you know, we, we, there, there were girls from all over the world. And I think it was the very first time that, you know, it opened up my eyes that, wow, there is more than just male and female. There are lesbians, there are butch femmes, you know. Mm-hmm. And in Singapore, we don't talk about that. And homosexuality, homosexuality is actually, it's not illegal in Singapore. You're not punishable by law, but it's not at all recognized or respected. Mm-hmm. So there was sort of an underground like, oh, okay, there is this other other things about sexuality that happens that nobody talks about. Let's talk about it. Um, so I guess among friends, you know, we sort of develop like this awareness, curiosity and exploration. Um, and then I came here to the States, um, worked in medicine, learned more about it from a medical standpoint, learned as an adult that I was circumcised and there was something different about me, not as a child, Um and sort of took measures to kind of, you know, rediscover what my body could do for itself. Um, so this is one of the big things that I like to share with people, uh, why I'm circumcised. It's not, it's not to call upon the victimization of, of the whole issue, problem, but more like, more of, um, you know, I am someone who doesn't have the entire clitoris, uh, I can get an external orgasm because there are nerve endings, you know, in your labia and there's so many, there's so many different, if you know your anatomy, if you are willing to do it, pleasure is yours. Mm-hmm. So for someone who doesn't have, who doesn't have the complete bits, I have great, wonderful orgasms. You certainly can. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And, and what a, 
an interesting like relationship that you have to like religion and to your family and to you know your your upbringing do you kind of look back like at Singapore the place and your and your childhood like how do you look back on it I'm sure it's so complex and there are a lot of gray areas for sure I I I think you know we have looking back gives us this perspective of you know what what was before what we couldn't have what we have now what we didn't have what we have now is this juxtaposition of of scenarios yes mm-hmm. and therefore you you have to take that with appreciation that like wow there is this big diverse experience that that we can have as human beings i don't look at it as i was sort of i was cut off from from you know feeling pleasure i look at it as like okay so i i start from this relative point and this is where i can grow from mm-hmm. and in sexuality we're all going to have different starting points there is no standard for what is good sex what is what is, you know, there, there's so many different definitions of what sex is, what is good sex, and therefore it is up to you to decide to make it so for yourself, how you want it to be, what your sexual story looks like, you know. So there's no use in comparing anybody else's story because its journey is, is, is unique and our bodies are unique. Mm-hmm. So if we as human beings can sort of sit down at the table with our girlfriends and have this conversation and not be like... Oh, you know, sort of comparing it with tit and tat, I think we would be amazed at the diversity of experiences that's available to us. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, And I'm wondering, coming from that background that you kind of just shared, and now being, you know, the founder and the the person who runs the sex toy shop, um, how have your family and like childhood friends reacted to <laughs> to your career? I'm sure there's a range of reactions, um, and like especially with stigma that comes along with it. Like, how do you address that? You know, uh, if people want to have a conversation about it with me, I'm I'm always happy to have a conversation. And the willingness to have a conversation is what removes stigma, is what informs people. Yes. So mm-hmm. I can't speak for the for my childhood friends who've never tried to have a conversation with me or who refuse to have a conversation with me for whatever reasons. I don't know what their reasons are for not wanting to, you know, know someone like me. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, we, we uh, some cultures tie their femininity to being, um, you know, to not overshare whatever overshare means, uh, to, to not talk about your sexuality, you know, out, like, outrightly. So they have different ways of how they want to conduct their lives and, and maybe mine doesn't go with them. I'm not going to assume that they don't like the way I live my life because oftentimes people who shun themselves away have something to ask, have something to say. They are Mm. interested. They are curious. They just are not able to say it because their environment doesn't nurture that kind of, that kind of um, conversation. Mm -hmm. So can't answer for that. But in, in talking about stigma, you know, it's, it's, how do I address it? I think having worked in please and talking about pleasure, um, you know, it's, it's all about how you relate to people everybody fucks okay <sighs> grandma fucks mommy fucks daddy like every rabbi fucks mom fucks everybody does okay but how we 
how we do it, when we do it. It's it's all in the privacy of our of our of our own bedrooms. And so when we're trying to have this conversation about sexuality, it's really, really important to be able to relate to people, to, to understand where they come from. I cannot jam into someone's throat what how I think sex should be. Just because it's a comfortable conversation with me and I can talk about it openly doesn't mean like my 11-year-old at the dinner table is going to take it when I say the word clitoris. Right. Right. So I have to have the same respect for I have I have I have a respect for where he's coming from. And I have to carry that respect with everybody that I talk about with sexuality. And I tell you, when you care, when you come to people with that respect, they open up and amazing conversations happen. Yeah. Yes. So I've done classes, you know, at mosque where we, where we, where, where I, where, where I talk with young women who are about to get married and I talk about anatomy and I talk about different things that they can do that are sexual, you know, in the context of what, of what Islam says is okay or is not okay. Or I just focus on bodies and I focus on pleasure and I focus on togetherness. And we, we, we design that conversation to relate to the circumstances that people are, are coming from. Great things happen. People learn. And we move forward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Are you, are you, do you speak a lot? Do you do a lot of public speaking events? A little bit in there. Yes. You're very inspiring. That's number one. Um, okay. Number two, I want to hear a little bit more about please. And like what your all's mission is like exactly how you got started on that. Cause obviously there's a big sure. leap from, well, not necessarily, but in my head, there's a leap from like radiology to like sex toy shop focusing on pleasure so radiation therapy yes. radiation so, therapy I, I apologize yeah so no yeah, that's okay a lot tell, of people tell me more about that so so please you know the intention that i have for please is to be a place where open conversations about sexuality take place um i worked in radiation oncology where we treat cancer patients um you know for a long long time and over and over again i would see patients who've recovered from breast cancer circa cancer uterine cancer prostate cancer they all you know at some point you know people with good prognosis of course recover and they move on. But the conversation that keeps coming back is, the question that keeps coming back is, how do I become sexual again post-illness? Okay, for a 30, 40-year-old woman who's had to have a double mastectomy and remove their breasts, okay, okay, great. I don't have cancer anymore, but I don't have my tits. How am I supposed to feel sexy? When right. I take off my clothes and I see a big scar, how do I look at my partner and... And, and feel myself as sexual again. No doctor wants to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, vaginal dryness with cervical cancer, with, with, with GYN cancer or with prostate cancer. You know, men, one in, one, one in two men will get prostate cancer and they wow, will recover from it. The, that's the statistic? Yeah. Oh my gosh. They will, re they will recover from it, but um, a lot of them will, will, uh, experience impotence throughout life, you know? So great. I don't have cancer, but I can't, I can't get my dick hard again. <laughs> like, right. What do I do then? So then there is, there are things in the sexual industry, in the sex industry that helps people through this. You know, there are dildos that you can use. There are vibrators that you can use. There are dilators that you can use. So I want it please to be the bridge between these two worlds, mm -hmm. the sex industry and the medical world and sort of make the sexual wellness conversation a health conversation. I love that. So how, how did you come so, up with the name? Um, I, 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 
I I don't know. It just please was a good, good, kind word, you know, mm-hmm. to please or to ask in a nice way is sort of like I wanted it to be subtle. See, the thing again, in order to have such a such a strong um, conversation be talked about so comfortably, we need to be subtle. We need to I didn't want please to be a sensationalized um, thing. Mm-hmm. So if you walk into please, it kind of looks like the pottery barn of like <laughs> pleasure shops. I didn't want to call myself a sex store. I call myself a pleasure shop because automatically when I say, oh, I own a pleasure shop, people will ask me, what is that? Mm-hmm. Already there is the opportunity to educate, to change the association of what a sex shop is. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I were to say it's a sex shop, oh, you know, oh, it's a lion's den. Oh, there is like laundry. Oh, it's a fuck shop. Like mm-hmm. it's not that. It's it's and and we, it it is that and it's not that. But the but the key point is to get to people to a point where they want to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's yeah. So that's what I plan to do with please. And so, you know, I could have been an online store. I could have been a blog. But I wanted a physical representation of what's sexuality looks like and if you come to Park Slope one time and you come to please it looks like any other store in the neighborhood it looks it's got glass from ceiling to floor Mm -hmm. there are no neon signs there is no pink there is no pornography it looks like a boutique Mm -hmm. and then when you go in you're like oh there are books that educate there are you know lubricants and barriers so we have this conversation in the conversation flows in please as it should with sexuality. Yes. Yeah. And and so do you all have like workshops and educational kind of things that happen within the store or what 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 else do you do I guess that like kind of varies or like that makes you different I suppose from like traditional sure. sex shops. Right. So, you know, I tell my staff being at please or working at please is not about making a sale. We want to make, we want to have a conversation with people. If at the end of the day, they buy a $10 vibe instead of a $20 vibe. Perfect. Because we've started them on something that is affirming, validating, uh, and give them the confidence to come back and expand the experience. This is what I plan. I aim to do. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an experience that you have where you can come in and ask all sorts of questions you want. We will answer them. The staff is trained about that. Um, so, you know, the, the store is not about carrying brands of what is new and what is not. We try and carry things that fit different bodies, does different things, accommodate disabilities, you know, life changes. So so it's it's a conversation that you have at least. It's an experience. Um, you can certainly walk in there and run in and get your vibrator and come out. But when you have the conversation, I, I, I promise you, you will leave with so many wheels turning. You will come back over and over again. And this is how we want people to experience their journey in sexuality. Totally. It's an ongoing totally. growth. And and what's your? Do you have a favorite toy like on the market right now? <laughs> I want to get the no, skinny no, on your no. face. You don't have a favorite. <laughs> I don't have a favorite toy. Number one, who cares about what Sid likes? Because your body is different from my That's body. That's fair. That's true. Yes. Um, so I I try my best not to not to favor one thing another because really our experiences are are going to be different. Um, how we how we perceive pleasure, uh, how we experience pleasure, who we play with, how we play with ourselves is very, very different. And I want to do you a service by talking about what do you like? What does Daniel like or what does someone else like? Um, Forget about Sid. 
you know, Sid does her thing. <laughs> I love that. Wow, you really just yeah. flipped that question on its head, didn't you? Um, that's, but, but that's having, so true. Having it's an, true. Now, but if I, if, if, you know, just to mention a little bit more about toys, I think we are becoming a little bit more thoughtful about sex toys, um, whether it is as a small business owner who sells sex toys, a middleman who educate people, or people who... Um, create sex toys, uh, a, a female-owned company like Dame, for example, um, you know, have created toys that are more thoughtful about the female's anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that I, 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 I like a lot because of, the, because of the intelligence of the design, the thoughtfulness is, for example, the Dame Eva. That's a clitoral stimulator that tucks into your labia. Um, and it's, it's genius because it's what a woman needs. It's, it's the missing piece in penetrative sex, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so things like that. And, and for, for, for people with disabilities, I have arthritis in my hands, you know. And so toys like that gives me the freedom to not overwork my hands. And it makes masturbation so much easier mm-hmm. um so so i think in general like the sex toy industry is also getting more smarter and they're listening to women um i do wish however there were more sex toys for males than just male well i call it um penis sleeves some people might know it as like pocket pussies which Ugh. is that's so 80s. Okay, we're 2019 now. It's male masturbators or like penis sleeves. I wish there was there were more for them, you know, yes. other than just stroking the shafts. Right. Poor guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are kind of like cock rings that vibrate and like different kinds of toys like that. Um, but right, but the vibrators is that it's funny. It, you know, people come in all the time. Couples will come in and say, "Oh, do you have the vibrating cock ring with a little um, rabbit in the end?" I'm like, it's like oh, "What is, is your intention?" Yeah, is that for him? Right. I'm or? like, "What? Is, what is your intention for that?" And I said, "Well, during penetrative, it will stroke my clitoris." I'm like, "Think about this, right? Every time that thing is on the man's penis, and he's going in and out, in and out, which means that vibrator on your clit is going on, off, on, off. Mm. Have you ever gotten off? Like." All of you will go home being so titillated that you got this new toy that's going to like send you off the rockets, right? And then you're getting more, you're getting turned on, but you're not getting off, and you're wondering why the hell that is. And it's like, oh, something's wrong with the toy, something is wrong with the body. No, the design is stupid because every time, just the act of penis, just the act of thrusting already deems it a failure. <laughs> right, because it's not going to stay on there, and that's what you typically would need in order to order Correct. Totally. So that's that's why, that's one of the things that we do at Please. If you come in and you want this toy and you really want it, I just sort of kept, just sort of candidly ask, oh, you know, why are you so attached to this toy? Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, so my next question is about the, that, the balancing act that you do, which is you're a business owner and you're also a mom and a radiation therapist. Like, how do you do it? Like, how do you, what's your secret to like balancing everything successfully? You're giving me too much credit. I think a lot of, a lot of us, if we were to write down the things that we do in life would, would probably do as much as not, if not more, um, I, I, I look at it as a privilege to be able to wear all of these different hats. Um, I think the universe put it on me uh, in order to give me the give me give me this humbling experience of like, okay, you are, you know, you are never the master of anything. You're still sort of learning. So just be in this mode of learning and wanting to learn, be interested in the world. Um, it is exhausting, and it takes a lot of. Um, 
um, asking for people's patience like yours to have to talk to me for like over six weeks because uh, things comes in a way. Um, but I, I look at it as it's, it's, it keeps me grounded mm-hmm. um, because, you know, there's so many different opposite polarized sort of um roles that I play, you know, how am I, you know, a mother and then like a lover, you know, people look at this as like, oh, they're, they're two different spectrums. No, we're actually the same person. And it's, right. we all are that if, if only we just let ourselves say, it's okay. I'm a mother who's a slut. It's all right. Um, <laughs> they're very intersecting identities. <laughs> for sure. I mean, for sure. How else did he come about if mommy didn't fuck? Right. Come on. Exactly. You know, please. And happy and happy happy children come from happy parents so mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep fucking because it makes me like a much more chilled human being right um but then also being a radiation therapist you know being a being a worker being a employer versus being an empl- employee versus being an employer it also teaches you to be you know in order to be a, a good captain you need to be a good soldier so there's all these different Colors that kind of I feel like keeps me grounded, um, and I enjoy it. Yes, yeah, that's incredible. Um, good on you for like really being able. Of course, like it's nothing is perfect, but really being able to kind of like own all of those identities and like see where they do intersect and interact. Um, yeah, I, I think there is, you know, in in there is a sort of an American culture. There's this um, uh, like. Um, how do I say it? Um, no, you know what? Just scratch that out. Okay. That's a different speech I have for a different thing. <laughs> totally cool. Um, if it comes back to you, please share. Um, so I want to know what is next for you and please. Like, where do you see please in like five or ten years? And then I also sure. want to know about kind of like Brooklyn, right? Because this is where you chose to. Um, for one reason or another, make your sex toy shop. And this episode is kind of all about like sex in the city, like in New York City, how like the city has or hasn't influenced, you know, you and and the sex toy shop and and influenced sure. you in one way or another. Okay, so I'll answer the second question first. Okay. Um, so I picked Park Slope, Brooklyn, because I lived in Park Slope, and I understand. I understood the demographic that was in Park Slope, and they're mostly families, you know, mm-hmm. hetero couples. Um, it's a good mix of, of a whole genre of, of sexuality and identities, but mainly there are heterosexual couples with children. And I think these are the people who are crying out for help um, because we 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 want, we, we fuck, so we got children. We want to fuck, but we are told that as parents, you know, as we get older, this is not something that you, you think about. This is something that's passed on. I am very keen on the conversation of long-term intimacy. Um, and whether you're a hetero couple or gay couple, whatever your sexual identity is, I think wanting to be sexual is a part of our human experience. Mm -hmm. And if we can look at the sexual conversation and put pleasure a little bit aside and talk about tenderness and kindness and self-work, self-love, partner love, then I think we can be a much more wholesome human being in general. And sex just happened to be my my channel of talking about these things. Um, so I picked Brooklyn because of that. And I really think that the conversation of sexuality needs to be desensationalized in order for us to all embrace it as a human 
conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Sex is just not for the young, for the beautiful, you know, for the sexy. Sex is for my grandmother. Sex is for mothers like me who is like, you know, sweaty and 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 smell like pancakes. Like <laughs> I, that, that smells great, doesn't it? Not a bad smell to have, I would say. No. I'm like, that is quite sexy, actually. I'm going to put my face in her. <laughs> my pussy smells like pancakes. Like, <laughs> Oh, God, if only. Oh my God. How great would that be? I'm sorry. You can edit that out. You no, I would on. love to keep it in. <laughs> no, so I guess, you know, um, I, 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 I wanted to be in Brooklyn and in Park Slope because of that. Um, and I think the way I will carry it into the future is sort of keep this conversation of sexuality for all and to make it relatable for any human being in whatever dynamic or circumstance that you're in and sort of make it re relatable for you. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for please in five, 10 years? There is a business component of it that I really enjoy. I want to expand. Uh, I want to have different stores different parts of the world. I think we can sort of ch change it a little bit to fit the places that we're going into. Um, so there's the business component of it that I love, the expansion of police as a business, um, but then also the social message. And this is why I, I talk to people like you with wonderful podcasts, <laughs> with inspiring people who do sex work, um, you know, to sort of kind of forward this conversation of sexuality. We all have, we cannot... Um, change the world just on our own. We have to collectively do this together. And, you know, there's a symbiotic sort of energy that needs to, that needs to be put on. Yeah. For sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I can't wait to see what you do and you, and how you expand and everything. Um, and I guess the last question that we have is what do you want everyone in the world if you had a, a stage that reached everyone in the world uh what do you want them to know about sex toys and sexuality okay so you know everybody looks at sex toys you come into you know if you're talking about masturbation and buying a vibrator it's like oh this this thing that gets you off you're gonna go home and you're gonna lie in bed and you're gonna go naked and you're just gonna jack yourself off you know and you can look at it as that way i mean i i, I get excited it's like buying a toy at toys rest <sighs> you can use for yourself and and tinker with it you can look at it that way or you can look at it as a tool that teaches you about your body, teaches you about how what you perceive as pleasurable, and sort of teach yourself to be attentive to your needs. You know, this is, as a, as a woman feminist, yes, uh, we mm -hmm. have to fight for so many things, so many, you know, equal pay, equal rights, please do the dishes as much as I do them. Um, but sex and pleasure is the one thing that we have access to in our own privacy at our own time. No matter where you are in the world or what culture you're in, you have access to your body all the time. So why not start there? Why not take that, that accessibility and make something good about it? And there's something about taking the time and learning about your body and figuring out what feels good, what doesn't feel good, being able to articulate in your mind what that, what that feeling is like and being able to say it, you can create boundaries for yourself. You can create standards for yourself over time, but it has to start from you. And you have that, you have that place. And what, where toys comes in is just it gives you this extra stimulus uh, extra stimuli of all the different things that your body can react to. Um, so look at it as that, as a learning tool 
to expand this incredible journey that you can have with yourself. Start there. And then great sex with anybody. You will never have bad sex with anybody. <laughs> if you start there, I love that so much. Um, thank you so much, Sid, for your insight and for sharing your story and for being on the podcast. Um, thank you. We loved chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Our graphic illustrator is Alana from Imperium Illustrations. Alana specializes in custom, illustrative cover art for books, music albums, and podcasts. She captures your story's soul and amplifies your voice in meaningful design. You can check out her latest projects at imperiumillustrations.com.au. Longtime listeners will know that here at Sex Ed with DB, we love lube. But here's the thing, not all painful sex can be solved with lube. Often the pain comes from overly tight vaginal muscles, like trying to get a champagne cork back into the bottle. Has this ever happened to you? Luckily, there's a new product out there that can help when lube is not enough. Say hi to Millie. Millie is the gentlest, most recommended dilator for people with vaginas who experience pain during intercourse. Millie's gradual dilator technology allows you to be in control and take back control of your sex life. Learn more at milliemedical.com. Hey, Janet. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, we're really excited to talk all about Dame and sex toys because um, the theme of this episode is sex in the city. Very clever, as we know. Definitely heard that one before. Um, <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself by saying your name, a little bit about your background and your title. Yeah. So my name is Janet Lieberman Liu. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. I went to school at MIT for it, got my bachelor's, and then um, worked as an engineer for seven years, designing everything from dustpans to 3D printers. Very Uh, exciting stuff. Riveting. (laughs) That dustpan industry. I was a quality engineer for, like, bath mats for a year. Ooh, how was that? Was that crazy? It... It was one of those things that was really stressful and, like, not important to anyone okay. at all. Hey, I really like having my bath mat, and my feet are soaking wet. You need to just, like, get them all, all dry on there. It was a lot about color. Okay, well. But it's still, I mean, you know, everything matters. And yeah. Sometimes it was about the quality of the fabrics and, the, right. and the foam. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, I worked for about seven years before uh, deciding to start my own company, Making Sex Toys, uh, which is Dame Products. Um, and I'm, did you ask me about like the impetus behind it and things like that? Sure. Just whatever you want to share. Just kind of like the story that led you to, to founding Dame. So I was, um, working at MakerBot, designing 3d printers at the time I was dating another engineer who designed products for a living. And we, I bought him a sex toy for his birthday. That was like a couple's toy sort of thing. And neither of us could figure out how it worked. And that was like my aha moment of realizing that I had always accepted a lower standard of engineering and product development, value for my dollar, all of those sorts of things that a product engineer does for a living Mm -hmm. out of my sex toys than I was from any other consumer electronics that I might be using or consumer products that I might be using. Um, And, you know, I thought to myself, like, I could do that better. Uh, And most of the time that like that thought flits through your head as a human. Right. That's not true. Right. Like the next immediate thought is like, nope, 
no, you can't do that better. For sure. There's so much that goes into the that. The doubt, the doubt. But instead, my next thought was, oh, wait, I actually can. This is what I do for a living. I, you know, figure out the, the functional requirements. I design something for it. I've done finding vendors and suppliers. I've touched on quality, a bit of quality engineer. I've you know how to pick colors. I know how to pick colors. I know how to make sure the colors come out right. (laughs) Um, I've worked at a lot of small companies, uh, which meant having to fill in the gaps around my role. So I picked up a little bit of marketing and a little bit of finance and a little bit of a bunch of different things. Um, and there was also this element to it of realizing that companies had maybe been profiting off of a sense of shame that I didn't necessarily realize that I felt about the products. This is the first time that it occurred to me that I was accepting something less in this aspect of my life mm. than I would from other products. For sure. Uh, and, and my only explanation for it was that I apparently didn't think that I deserved better. I didn't think that I was entitled to sex toys that worked better or were designed better for the use or, you know, any of these other elements that I feel like anyone who's a sex toy user probably kind of knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, you're, not, you're not alone in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was what... And if you looked at pornography, which is the primary male sexual aid, it's always driven technology. Mm. But sex toys, the primary female sexual aid kind of seem to be behind the rest of this whole tech revolution, right. you know, the industrial design and technology and value for your dollar kind of changes that have happened in the last 10 to 20 years in consumer products. So wanting to be the change I wanted to see in the world, I decided to start a company making sex toys. That is amazing. Um, and so your title, are you CEO and co-founder? I am CEO. CTO slash CPO, Chief Technical Product Officer Got it. slash co-founder. Awesome. And where does your other, how did you meet your other co-founder? Uh, it was something where it was sort of a doppelganger situation where there aren't that many young women starting sex toy companies in Brooklyn at the same time. Right. And people were starting to get us mistaken for each other or thinking that we were already working together. So um, about the third time that I heard from someone like, oh, my friend met you at this meetup last month. Oh, people thought you actually looked alike too. Yes. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Or just like by describing one of us, it seemed like it was describing the other one. Okay. We we do both have, we're we're about three years apart in age. We both have brown hair that's long. Got it. We don't look that much alike, but we don't look that different. Sure, sure. Um, and since you're doing the same thing. Yes. Uh, I decided to meet this person, see, you know, like maybe we could just have shared research into, you know, market size and stuff like that. Um, but what we both sort of realized in our first meeting was that we had this potential to build a stronger company together than we would be able to apart, you know. Her background was in psychology, and um, she'd worked at a small consumer goods company, consumer packaged goods company, as um, you know, on this sort of sales marketing operations side. Um, and my background was in product development. Right. Um, so it wasn't that we didn't. We were both starting to try to do things that were in each other's realms, and it wasn't that we were doing so poorly at it. But we could build something better together, and. Um, she already had the concept for Eva, which was our first product. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd already 
kind of done a fair amount of work of proving out that concept is, is viable. And um, I had already started on kind of like some market research stuff, and I had a lot of thoughts about what um, the brand needed to be from a perspective of like accessibility and um, you know the engineering side of it and that sort of stuff. Um, not necessarily the visual elements of the brand as they are now, but mm -hmm. some of the, like the core values of what I thought it should be. So um, we were both bringing stuff to the table of what is now a dame today. Yeah, you complemented each other. Yeah. That's great, that's really awesome. Um, so can you talk about your lawsuit against the MTA um, and what you hope to achieve? Because this is like a really huge thing. It's like all over the place, it's getting retweeted by everyone, everyone's just like sharing it, hundreds and thousands of views on these things, like it's really viral. And yeah. I'm super curious, you know, what was the, yeah, the impetus behind wanting to sue the MTA? Kind of what was the last straw um, and, and what's happening now? To be clear, we don't want, we know we don't want to sue the MTA. For we sure. This is like a last a, resort kind of thing. In a position where that is what we were doing. Right. Um, so to, to kind of take a step back and set a little bit of a scene here. Um, building a hardware company is hard. Startups are hard. Hardware's Hardware is hard as a phrase you hear a lot. Um, and the, the longer you kind of work in the sex industry, the re what you realize is that um, advertising plays this huge role in holding us back from having, from having better products, from valuing things more. Um, and uh, last year in, so in some ways, we're trying to build a hardware startup just like anyone else trying to build a hardware startup, but with our hands tied behind our back. Mm. Because we can't advertise on Facebook, we can't advertise on Twitter, we can't, you know, we, we can in these sort of roundabout ways, but not in anything straightforward. And no matter what we try to do, we always hit some amount of friction of some clause, mm -hmm. but everything just goes a little bit slower. So last year, Unbound, which is uh, another New York-based uh, sex yeah, toy we company had, in this space. We had Polly on our season two. Yeah. Um, they tried to run ads with the MTA. Uh, MTA initially rejected and then said publicly in the New York Times that they'd be willing to work with the sex toy company. Even some advertisers, some, you never work directly with the MTA, you work with a go-between. One of those go-betweens reached out to us and said, you know, we're excited to start working with this category. Um, so we started working with the MTA and or at least, the, you know, sending things through the go-between. Um, we sent artwork. They uh, had some issues with some of the language, but it wasn't sexually motivated issues. It was like references to train delays that they didn't want to have. Oh, in interesting, okay. Um, and so we rewrote it. Then we had a round of approved artwork. We did one more round of edits just because, you know, more like, uh, we changed from wanting the long, thin ones to wanting the, the tall, wide ones, sure. you know? Um, and then we submitted that. It should have been our final artwork. We were ready to, like, give them money. And then they came back to us um, right around Thanksgiving of 2018 saying with a letter that said that they couldn't work with us. They'd never worked with sexually-oriented businesses. Um, 
and uh, they actually updated their FAQ to specifically reference sex toys. After all of your shit was approved already? After now? it was approved in September, in like mid, uh, mid-November, they updated their FAQ that's, to say, that's to call out sex toys. Um, so they backtracked. They're like, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, backtrack. And they, they, they use the phrase, they've never run ads from a sexually oriented company. If you are a New Yorker. Oh, this, you know. This smells a lot like bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, all these cactuses yeah, are everywhere. The, the phallic cactuses for HIMSS, which, which is a telemedicine company that does erectile dysfunction medication. They do other things too, but that's what those ads that's are That's the about. majority of their ads. Um, that's, all, that's like really the one that's the most glaring. But, you know, when we were having this discussion, if you were riding on the subway, there was... Museum of Sex ads, right. there were hymns, Romans, um, ads for moving companies that referenced moving your, uh, your kids' toys and your adult toys. I noticed those ones. I was like, oh, wow, this is spicy. But you're totally right. They're everywhere. Yeah. Ads, ads for sheets that have references to masturbation, threesomes. Mm-hmm. There's the ads for prep and things like that. And, you know, so we are used to dealing with a certain amount of double standards and a certain amount of, you know, things that just don't really make sense for why. And we accept it a lot of the time. We tried to um, sort of get the MTA's attention with a PR campaign around it um, in January, and that was ineffective Mm -hmm. at getting them to change the policy because, I mean, it is... It's not like it's overtly discriminatory. Yeah, it it's is subtle. Subtly discriminatory. What it's saying is that, like, an erection, being able to get an erection, that's health. Mm-hmm. So male sexual function is health, mm-hmm. but female sexual pleasure, that's obscene. Totally. And that's basically the breeding ground. It's the mentality and the breeding ground that leads to men believing that sex is something that they take from women because they weren't going to enjoy it anyway and they are entitled to it. Um, And on the flip side, women feeling like the fact that they don't enjoy sex doesn't really matter, that they weren't going to be able to enjoy their sexual lives and that they should actually sort of be giving it to someone else even if they're not getting much out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that these are harmful societal pressures and views mm-hmm. and we just kind of accept it and that's the only framework in which it makes sense that we are some sort of bad sexually oriented company right. whereas all these other topics are good healthy sexually yeah. oriented companies that's the only viewpoint I think in, in which it sort of makes sense so the more that we sat with the societal things around it, the more that we sat with the fact that nothing was going to change here, yeah. the more sense that it made to sue, especially because they're not a private corporation that can kind of make whatever decisions they want to mm. on their advertising. They are publicly funded and therefore have to follow certain rules relating to the First Amendment. So it's a First Amendment case against them right. for discrimination. Um, and what we've heard from a bunch of lawyers is the more lawyers we talked to, the more we heard that we really did 
probably have a case. Um, and I, I've been excited to see that, like, I haven't seen any uh, legal assessment of it from third parties uh, since then that didn't also say that we probably have a case here and then that we've, we've got a pretty good standing. They sort of worked themselves into a corner because, again, if you are a New Yorker, there is clearly sexual content. There's both companies that don't, that aren't sexually oriented using sex to sell products mm -hmm. and companies that are sexually oriented that might not be using sex to sell products, but they're not. They're penis focused. They're penis focused. And they're, what we submitted as ads were incredibly tame. Right. And they, you know, your toys, as we'll kind of get into, like, aren't phallic. Like, yeah. they have a lot of other shapes and There's sizes. There's nothing to say that we would never make a phallic toy. Right. Phallic toys have a purpose. Sure. But the penis is designed for many things. And female sexual pleasure is not in its top three functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, if, you were, if you're designing something that's optimized for female sexual pleasure, you're not going to end up with a penis. Right. Um, so a lot of it's our a products... a direct quote right there. That's great. <laughs> it's a good one. A lot of our products are clitorally focused. We've got couples toys because a lot of people use sex toys in a couple setting, um, but very few sex toys are designed for it um, because there's a, a basic mismatch between how, why, how and why people use sex toys and who they're marketed to, what they're marketed for. Right. Um, so we spent a lot of time looking into that and figuring out what the right tools for the purpose is. And what it ends up with is our toys aren't going to raise a lot of questions for kids. Mm -hmm. um, That's true. So it would be a good thing to have on an advertisement because kids wouldn't necessarily understand it. Yeah. And kids aren't, I mean, number one, your kids are going to ask you questions that you don't want to answer. And you're going to just have to do it. You're just going to have to do it eventually. Right. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, like, they don't know what most of the ads right. on the subway are about and the chances that they pick that one to try to ask more about. Um, For sure. Somewhat low. Yeah, totally. Because uh, it really has nothing to do with them. That really, there's, we're, we're clearly not advertising to children right. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and the information that we had on our ads were, you know, scientific studies, quotes from people, from customers, happy customers. Uh, we really kept it. PG. Clean, clear. <laughs> yeah. It did use the word vulva, but we would have been happy to take it out because one of our, one of our customers said like, uh, uh, thank you from the bottom of my vulva. <laughs> so we used that. <laughs> I love it. That's but so good. also you should probably be able to tell your kid what vulva means totally. um, if they're able to read vulva. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So where are you now? So you, what's like the process of what happens? It's a little bit anticlimactic at the moment because you, you file the complaint, which is the lawsuit, and then they have 60 days to respond, and we're currently within those 60 oh, days. Oh, wow. This is like a, a really perfect time to be kind of talking about, you know, what could happen or what, yeah. you know. The goals of what you want to happen. You know, it's, it's hard to say what the goals are per se. Um, obviously, we would love it if they reevaluated their policy and really thought about whether or not some of the, the thing about, um, there's something they say about pornography, which is, um, I know it when I see it. 
And that's, that's actually sometimes used as the legal definition of pornography is the, you know it when you see it. But the problem with that is that that's highly dependent on the observer. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we've had advertise, uh, not advertisements, illustrations of how our products work mm-hmm. um, be classified as porno- pornographic um, because they involved a vulva. Right. But it's not a very great thing for women if we are classifying all images of vulvas, even if they're animated and just a how-to as pornography. Um, that hugely stunts our ability to take care of our sexual health. Totally, yeah. If, if we're being told that we have to hide all images of it because otherwise it's pornography, just because, I mean, someone can masturbate to literally anything. Right. Um, you know, your phone case right there. Someone's going to masturbate. Super hot orange Super hot. coming at you. <laughs> um, totally. Wow, yeah. That's, there's a lot. Uh, so so. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. But so if we, we would love it if regulations were... Um, I think a little bit more thought out about how biases are being brought to the table with them. Mm-hmm. We would love it. You know, if it is about the children, then make it about the children, you know, take, take out the rest of the stuff. I, it's not that I think that we actually should be taking out any sort of reference to sexual language or any companies that have anything to do with sex for advertising. I think that's bad for us as a society, mm-hmm. but if that's where we're going to draw the lines, we should really draw the lines there. And if we're not, then it's very prescriptive to go in and say, well, well, these products that are important to me, mm-hmm. that I think that I should have an entitlement to an erection, that is my definition of sexual health. Mm-hmm. But these products that over half of women use as honestly more like part of their hygiene routine, mm-hmm. I would say vibrators are more, are, tend to be more like that than they are like really hardcore sexy times yeah, you know, which um, it can be for some people. It can be, but but they are also just for a lot of people. It's just part of a, a daily or weekly routine, right? Um, that that those products they aren't something that you're entitled to and need to know about new things in, right? Um, and it really does it. The advertising restrictions on the vibrator and sex toy industry really do stunt development and innovation in the industry because you can't. Tell people that you've done new things. It's right. only worth investing in doing new things if people can know about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I really hope that you get what you're looking for and that not only your ads can run, but other companies that are doing really similar things, obviously. Um, because I think you're totally right. I think like without the information and the knowledge and the opportunity for equality, it's completely unfair. And it's a perpetuating cycle because the lack of money in the space means that there's a lack of research backing up that vibrators are used for tons of health purposes. Right. Um, You know, it's... So, you know, you you get told, like, well, where's your data on the fact that... It's like, well, give me some fucking money and I'll give you some data. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um... That's actually a perfect segue into like, are there other kinds of like difficulties that you've faced as female founders of this company in this space? I think that, you know, being female, it's kind of split up because being female founders is, has its own issues. Um, you know, there's all the stats on, you know, if you do the same 
pitch, but give it a male versus female voiceover, uh, the, the male voiceover is more likely to get the money. Mm-hmm. If you, um, women are more likely to be asked about the risks hmm. associated with their venture instead of the opportunities. And I've definitely um, experienced that when I'm talking to investors. They, they don't want to talk to me about the upsides. They want to talk about, you know, like all the downsides. That's really interesting. So, so the female side is its own problem. In this industry right now, it's having such a feminist moment that I think it would actually be somewhat hard to operate in this industry as non-female founders. But that said, um, a lot of the investment money in the industry is still going to like Romans, hymns, mm-hmm. male-founded companies that started on in a male direction and are now branching out to female products. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're still seeing the investment money go to that even though the story is a lot stronger and the marketing is a lot stronger around female founders and most of the people doing it interesting space not to say that those companies aren't doing interesting things right but most of the people doing interesting things in the space are women for sure um or women founded companies all that said being a sex company is its own has its own problems in and of itself mm-hmm. um, so these are kind of like separated like the women founded plus sex is right. not is more of an opportunity than a problem mm. because it's a male dominated industry that should be a female dominated industry. So gotcha. And you, you make bring better products to the table. The consumers are excited about it. You know, you're you're more in touch with your consumer because you are your consumer. But then, being a sex company is hard to grow because every time that you're trying to do something, there's just that little bit of extra text that makes it that much more complicated, that much harder to get a loan that much harder to get investment. Right. Um, the fact that there's, and it's not even necessarily the obvious things, the fact that there's very little data um, makes it hard for people to know how big the company can grow or makes it hard to uh, be able to justify claims about products. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Yeah. When you're working with other companies, you don't just need to get whoever you're talking to on board or even that company on board. You also need the companies in their ecosystem to be on board Totally for like payment processors or right. I've heard a lot about that in terms of, I know Cindy Gallup talks a lot about not being able to get a proper payment processor because no one wanted to give it to her make love, not porn. Yeah. And we are able to work uh, because we're a slightly different category. We're able to work with um, companies like Stripe, but, um, Kickstarter being worried about allowing sex toys on their platform was in part because they were worried that we couldn't work with Stripe. Um, So it's all connected. So it's all connected. Like, uh, they had to make sure that everyone in there, we were the, our, our product Finn was the first sex toy on Kickstarter. And we were only able to do that because we were able to assure them that everyone in their ecosystem could also play nice with us. Yeah. Um, so Cindy does talk a lot about it. it's not uh, it's the fear of what other people think. Exactly. I w- I tend to describe it as it's less it's less that there's a taboo and more that there's a perception of a taboo. Totally. Every individual no longer thinks that it's taboo, but they think they're the only one. Totally. That makes sense. Um, why New York City? Um, how has being in the city been helpful for your business and how does it kind of like influence your products, if at all? I mean, for me personally, the why New York City is because I have a sleep disorder and I don't want to drive. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not super safe for me. 
So that's how I, I ended up in New York City, but I think it's so interesting that New York City has ended up being the center of, you know, that was a decision that I made five years before I decided to, to, to found Dame Products. I think it's interesting that New York City has become the center for um, sex tech. And what I think is interesting about it is that New York City has one of the highest percentage, and Brooklyn in particular is even a little bit higher, of female founders in the, con in the country. Oh, wow. Um, so we're also a bit of a um, female entrepreneurial hub. And I personally know that if I moved to San Francisco, I would have a lot more companies that I could work for, but I don't necessarily want to operate in a Silicon Valley type environment. Right. Um, I had a lot of not great experiences working as a female engineer for other people. And from what I've heard out of Silicon Valley, it's not better. Yeah. Uh, it's, if anything, it's, it's uh, potentially well, worse because it's more cutthroat. What well, actually more discriminatory Oh, is more of what I'm concerned about. Got it. Um, that uh, because the tech scene is bigger there, um, it's harder to realize, for people to recognize how mm. toxic the environment can be for women, and it can be harder to find a good job. Sort of the programmer culture. Um, programmer? I haven't heard that term before. I have. Yikes. <laughs> okay. And so um, by... I think that the fact that the current like sex, sex tech industry wave is a very feminist wave is probably related to it being in New York City because New York City is another tech hub, but it's a much more female-friendly tech hub. Mm -hmm. um, and it has a little bit more space for um, because it's a center for, um, for fashion. That's mm -hmm. part of what keeps it Oh, interesting. Okay. And also New York City, I think, is one of the highest percentage of women to men. Like the, the female to male ratio is skewed women in New York City as well. So I think it's a really opportune place right. for this uh, feminist sexual health revolution to be starting out of. For sure. That's really awesome. Um, do you have a favorite toy of yours? It's pretty hard for me to answer that okay. because they're all my babies. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> I wouldn't have brought any of them into the world if I didn't think that they brought something new and different. That said, um, I think probably my favorite at the moment is Palm. Okay. Tell me about um, it. So just, just to give my other babies a call out for a moment. Eva was our first product, and it's probably like our most um, our most innovative couples use one. Um, Finn has like staying power. It's my husband's favorite of our toys. It's the, the one that is like is his instead of mine. Okay. Um, and Kip was in some ways like a happy little accident that we ended up with, um, where we we found some features when we were developing like an external clitoral toy that people didn't tend to realize that they wanted in toys, but that were really liked when we tested them. Hmm. We were able to put them together in this like ergonomic to hold little bullet 
Um, and then pillow is just its own little category. Uh, but I, I birthed that one a little bit less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's, it's soft goods. And not that I wasn't involved in it, but um, I didn't sort of own its development in the same way. But Palm was the one where when I tested an early version of it, I just thought to myself, like, man, that is just what I want a vibrator to be. Got it. So personally, like, you just really love it. Yeah. Like, it's uh, Palm has no internal plastic structure. And for me, I'm like, I work with the set and forget version of using a vibrator. Like, I can just hold Palm in place. Right. It's just there. It's on. Sure. We had, like, a certain amount of inspiration from a magic wand for it in that, like, the head of a magic wand... Um, is soft and you can hit a big area at once. Um, and there was a bit, a bit of this theory that the reason why the magic wand is so popular isn't necessarily because it's so strong. That's what some people are using it for, but a bunch right. of people buy the little kits to make it a little bit weaker. Mm -hmm. So why are they buying that one? And it's because it's the only product that lets you hit a big area right. at the same time. Totally. So palm, because it has no internal plastic structure, when you press on it, it stays conforming to the entire area of the anatomy that you're trying to press on. Got it. Um, so if I were more of like an exploratory, like, let's try out my nipples, you know, sort of person. Right. Then probably Kip or Finn would be my favorite. But uh, I think I'm a like, let's just get the whole area at once. <laughs> kind of person oh yeah yeah the magic wand is my personal favorite and I think it's exactly the reason that you just said is because it's hitting all of the the clitoral structure kind of all at one time yeah in this large surface area and you can apply as much or as little pressure as you want to exactly what I when we were testing clitoral toys what I noticed was that they'd be designed to match my anatomy and then I would press on them and they would tilt up Ah, okay. And it wasn't, they didn't have to tilt up too much for whatever benefit the company had been going for, the designer had been going for in their initial shape to be gone. Gotcha. Um, so palm bends pretty far, but you don't, you're not really using it because it bends pretty far. It's because it bends a little bit very easily. Got it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um, it makes me want to buy it actually. Um, that's amazing. So we have one more question for you, which is just to kind of close the interview. What can our listeners be doing to help fight for equality in calling out the MTA in terms of on their social media, what kinds of conversations, what's like your kind of like recommend? I mean, I think obviously sharing and retweeting anything that you see about it helps us out. I think it helps a lot when people give their own viewpoint on it because it helps to like we were talking about before, normalize that viewpoint on it, that it's not, um, you're not the only one who feels like this is a little bit unfair. Right. Um, because we all just accept things that are a little bit unfair all the time. Yeah. Um, you can always, a really helpful thing is to, you know, vote with your wallet. Uh-huh. Um, so if you want to buy a vibrator, that helps us. And that also helps you. The lawsuit. <laughs> it also helps listeners. Yeah, it also helps listeners. Like it's, uh, we've got a, a sixty-day return policy. So if you don't like it, you can just return it. Um, right. But I don't 
the only reason we can have that return policy is because we don't have that many returns. Right. Um, <laughs> if you know what they mean. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just like anytime, anytime you talk to a charity, the answer is like, uh, just give us money. Like, <laughs> because we'll, right. we'll be most sufficient <laughs> and easy. Um, but uh, keeping the conversation going, voting with your wallet, um, and also just contact the MTA, MTA directly. Um, if you contact them, that helps to let them know that people are watching and it's not just, you know, some entitled millennial company just trying to get a rise out of people because, oh my God, Snowflake. Right. Um, we really are doing this because we see the underlying message that we're accepting if we accept this regulation as they've decided to enforce it. Sense by Wisp. Sensual jewelry for encouraging sensual well-being and sexual exploration. Personalize your sensuality by interchanging fragrance orbs with massage stones in the silver earring, necklace, or ring. Touch, smell, be. Find them at wisp.me.uk and at wisp.me on Instagram. Looking for a period game changer? Meet Lena, the reusable silicone cup that collects your monthly period blood. No odor, no leaks, and so comfortable you'll forget you're on your period. 90% of first-time Lena Cup users never go back to pads and tampons. Go to lenacup.com and use promo code SEXWITHDB to get $5 off your first order. Lena, a better period. Are you a cancer survivor or do you know someone who is? Earlier severe menopause and painful vaginal sex can often be an undiscussed and unexpected side effect to cancer treatment. Luckily, Millie can help. Millie is the gentlest dilator on the market with user-controlled in-vagina expansion, enabling gradual increases in size with only one insertion. Getting better is hard. Don't shortchange your progress. More than 50% of sexually inactive Millie users return to sex within three months of using Millie, with 30% reduction in pain and anxiety. Use Millie to have more pleasurable sex and break your cycle of pain. Go to www.millimedical.com to check it out. Our creator, producer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our assistant producer is Kathy Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Alana Rance. Our sound engineer is Oliver Devone. Our fundraising co-coordinator is Jamie Cooper. And our other fundraising co-coordinator slash content assistant is Callie Cochran. Our music is by Ben Sound and Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured voices, sponsors, and our listeners. Tune in next time.